Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. Hello everyone, it's Wednesday and it's the, this is a place you come on a Wednesday night. This is the moment you've been waiting for and the person you want to speak to or the people you want to see. So what, uh, what, 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 we've, uh, what, what we're coming up with is you've got Chris here tonight from your, your Empire Buyers, Agents, uh, Buyers Agency or Buyers Agents. There you go. What, what I wanted to say though is this is, we bring the, we bring the big names and we, I would say we are the funniest Facebook property Facebook group. So that's our claim to fame. We bring the names and we bring the bring the last. I don't know that that didn't go off as well as it did. But uh, so how 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 are you going tonight, Chris? How, how's your day been? Yeah, now all good, and and this is nice and casual, and it's perfect for an evening. So uh, all looks good. It is. And how about how about you, Joe? How how's your day, mate? What, what's been happening? I'm I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm pumped. I'm pumped for tonight's tonight's session. I've got a little um. Got a little beer on the go, so um, I'm I'm excited just for a casual chat with a couple of guys about property, and then a couple of people uh, watching in if they so choose. So I'm excited to share some value. Yeah. So for for any comments, people, because Chris, the more the more comments we get, the more questions we get, the more books that Chris is going to give away. And so I mean, there's a bit of so but the thing I'm excited about is. We're here to accelerate your capital growth journey and and we're going to, and there's already a love heart, so people are already loving it, people are tuning in. The other thing that I was going to say is we're not just accelerating your capital growth. I'm revved up for this and, and people get revved up, get excited. How many different car funds can I throw in there? I was practicing these before. So before we uh, before we kick, let's um, let's sort of, um, you didn't ask me how my week was, Joe, or how my day was. What about what so about me? Talking. You haven't given me the yeah. chance. How was your day, mate? How was it? Okay, okay, all right. So <laughs> I'll, if, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll indulge you. So my, my day was, um, so we settled the second of three properties down in Adelaide. So that was um, the second property. And unfortunately, the third buyer pulled out of that, that purchase. So um, unfortunately, the wife uh, wasn't keen on the property. She drove by and just said, didn't like it. And, I, and they saw the, the husband signed the contract and said everything's happy days. And then next minute she's like, just just have to get the wife to drive by. And the wife's like, no, nah, didn't like it. So back on the market, had an open today again. And I'm waiting to hear that that's um, sold and on, on to the next project. So um, had my flu shot as well. Um, not um, yeah. So that's uh, my arms. If I sort of fall off my chair, you you'll understand why my arms a bit dead. But enough about me, Joe. Okay. Are we going to go into our into our life hacks? Let's Jeff, do it. I feel like you have a good life hack for us today. What is your I life do. hack? So for those of small business owners who are just kicking off something, um, so a bit of, bit of tech, something that's, that's quite easy and very user-friendly, is something called Wave Accounting Apps. Um, not Wave, so I think it's Wave Invoices or something like that. If anybody's super interested, drop, drop, a, drop a comment. I can drop a thing in the, in the um, comments. And what that does, you can literally, you, you can put in any details. It throws out an invoice to any email you want, and it tells you, it reminds you if somebody hasn't paid their invoice. 
It's super easy. Click click of a button. It's it's just so simple. For somebody who doesn't want to upgrade to zero or somebody who's just sort of starting out, I think that's that's a fantastic way to do your kind of your books, your accounting um, sort of type situation. Eventually, of course, you want to move into your um, your zero or your I don't know. Do people use Quicken, whatever those kind of things? So that's my life hack: wave invoicing. I love it, mate. Okay, yeah, I. This is this is what happens, right? You, you get smart property business people, and then they're also in business, and they've got little side hustles. We've got entrepreneurial mindset in this group, which I found. Um, Chris, have you got yourself a life hack pre-prepared, or I'm going to do mine and give you a chance to? <laughs> I'll link something up. I was just thinking, my apps that I use, and maybe this is a really common one. But I love Tripit, which uh, is pretty pretty useless this uh, time in COVID, where you can't travel. But I've got probably 10 or 15 years of history of all my travel. It basically goes through your inbox, taking all your hotels, your flights, your taxis, all that kind of stuff, and puts it in the app so that whenever you're traveling, rather than going to my diary, quite often I go to TripIt and I can see exactly what I'm doing. And I try and target a week overseas. So I normally do 12, 15 trips a year. So I'm trying to do one a month. So it's really easy to go through TripIt. So uh, I'm missing a trip this month. I've got to find an excuse to then go and book myself an overseas trip and uh, and lock it in there. <laughs> okay, so it's just an app that lets you know. Well, you said you you want a trip a month, but it's not. A, you, you haven't done it. Where is it? <laughs> I haven't seen your and location. So it, it, it syncs in with your calendar as well, so it puts all of the flights, all the accommodation, everything else into your calendar. So uh, it's just having everything in one place. And actually, when you go to the airport, say if your flight's delayed or something. TripIt knows quite often before the airline. So before you get the announcement at the airport, quite often I get it on TripIt before. Right. Okay. So if you start, you know, swearing and everyone's just looking, what's wrong with him? The, the flight's fine. They exactly. <laughs> when you see other people doing it, they have TripIt. <laughs> Hopefully I'm the first at the counter to rebook somewhere else. Oh, yes. Okay. That's super valuable. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I've got a little bit of a life hack. This is, um, this is not tech-based. Um, it's just, I guess, more of a framework or a, or a way of thinking about um, reading books. Back in the day when I was younger, I, I wanted to read all the books, right? I just wanted to sit down, smash out 100, 200, 300 books a month. Like the goal at one stage was 100 books in a year. And um, I did it, got through them all. But I just didn't soak up any of the information. You'd read through and you'd be like, gosh, I've got to get to the end of this one. Great, a book in a week, done. Um, so now what I'm doing is specifically choosing a select few. I haven't picked a number or anything like that, but actually study up on the book and not just read the first, not read through it as quickly as possible. Read it, reread it, take notes in the margins, um, research some of the stuff that's mentioned. And it's going to just, it just helps me soak up the information and digest it a lot easier. So that's my uh, that's my little life hack for um, for today. Um, what's what's your reading habits like, uh, Chris? Probably not the best. It used to be really really good. I got through a whole phase of um, when I discovered books, probably around thirty thirty one, and I read a whole bunch of property books. When I did the TV show The Renovators on Channel Ten, I'd done a whole bunch of renovations, but I've never I don't know the terminology. I'm not a builder. So literally before I started on Channel 10, then um, I flew to New Zealand. I went down to Dimmock's. I bought 10 or 15 property books, sped read them at, uh, at high speed on the plane, literally. So what I do is I write down in the back cover every time I learn something because then when you finish the book, it's easy to go back and transcribe it onto words. So it's like reading the book again. And to reread a book, you can then just read the bullet points. 
but I literally learned everything from 15 books that cost two or 300 bucks. And that's how you suddenly get a quick, uh, I guess, um, degree in, in renovations or whatever else. And after a while, you find the books are the same. So after the 10th book, you're only writing down one or two comments because most books are pretty similar. Yeah. 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 And that's what I kind of find. There's so much fluff at the beginning and then they just sprinkle. Like I just want a 10 pager that just give me the good stuff. But that just doesn't it just doesn't exist. But, but the reality is, is say even for someone like me, then if you've got someone with all that expertise, why would they put it into a $20 book when they can sell a program, say like an Anthony Robbins for 10 grand or 50 grand or 100 grand. And so if you're running a business, they don't want to give you all the other information. They want to drip feed it so you buy the 10 books or the 50 books or the courses or whatever else. Yeah, so you don't realize people are in business. Yeah. yeah. Hey, straight, straight, uh, shooter. straight shooter. Straight shooter. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of being in business, um, we have a special uh, – we have a special, um, what are these things called, sponsors for today. So we're going to quickly cover off an ad and uh, and then we'll jump straight into the, an introduction of who exactly Chris is and uh, jump into the rest of the show. So let's do it. Scott Agate. You would have seen him on the 7pm project campaigning against agent underquoting. Scott is an expert negotiator through and through. Every single day he is negotiating with real estate agents to get the best price for his clients. To give you a bit of a background, Scott has been working in real estate since 1995 and as a real estate agent built up three Bell franchises. He was the guy teaching the agent all the tips and tricks to get the most out of the buyers. However, Scott realized that there was actually no one on the side of the person buying the property and he saw them constantly letting emotion get in the way and paying way over for the property. And that's why he created Hello House, Australia's first property negotiation as a service business, where he is on the side of the buyer. In hot markets like we have now, you need absolutely every single edge that you can get. These agents are trained professionals and they are there to get the most money out of you, which is why you need to have an expert of your own in your own corner. The way it works, you find the property, then Scott will come in at the negotiation phase and take over for you. This is how you'll get the property for its true value. He'll ensure that you don't overpay. He comes in, knocks the real estate agent down on price, no more agent games, no more tricks, no more tactics, he is there for you. Scott has been kind enough to offer us an amazing discount on his service, and I've personally just seen a friend pay $20,000 more on a property because of these agent games. Reach out to him with the link below. It'll be the best property investment you will ever make. There you go. And I, I actually even uh, I actually even made sure I dropped the link in today. How, how good is that? I was I was so yeah. organised. Bloody hell, mate! It's all so, about outreaching to the experts. <laughs> You're calling me the expert, Joe. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll take it. So let, let's get on to our featured our, our featured guests for the uh, for the evening, and we've sort of we tease him so much. Like I, I hope he hasn't gotten all the notifications. There's been so much of we've, we've pumped him up, pumped up his tire so much. But but I, I was I was reading your website last night, and on and so and if anything's wrong in this information, I I'm not I can't be blamed for this information I've gathered here. My research has <laughs> only led me straight to the source. So, but but you've uh, your site did say that your your portfolio. So you started investing at age twenty two. So that's um that's the ripe the ripe old ripe old age or ripe young age I would say. And in your portfolio now, it said fifteen plus million. I, I would believe it's uh, you yeah, said it's. it's about, I think it's about twenty million or so. Yeah. 
Yeah, give, 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 or take, give or take a couple of mil. I mean, who, why are we splitting exactly. hairs? <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to know that give or take 10%, then it's a couple of million bucks. Yeah, exactly. It's all about the percent. I, I like the way you think there. It's all about the percentages, and that's that's a bit of a life hack I will mention. Yeah, it, it depends if it's the tax office, the bank manager, me, or the selling agent, or the valuer as to what the value is. And and that's the thing with property. There's 10 different values on the same day. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I, I think we could just do a whole session on that. But um, so you, you've invested though through through property booms, bubbles, including the GSC. I think that's. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I sort of. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the GSC. But uh, I don't know. I think that's probably conversation for a few years, and, and maybe might take might take too long. Might take too well, much of the. I, I actually bought half my portfolio in the GSC. So okay. when everyone was saying don't buy, I literally bought half my properties then. Yeah, kind of like the, the Warren Buffett of uh, a property investing, we would say. Buy fearful one that's greedy. We, we've said it on Sky News so many times around GFC. We said it in credit crunch. We said it in COVID. And, and yeah. I haven't got a crystal ball. Like, I'm, I'm not the genius that's saying I can pick the peaks and the troughs. I'm just saying now is a good time because no one else is buying. Yep. But everyone acts like sheep, and we've seen it so many times. And as soon as the paper shouts boom, which they did January or February, the whole of the world all comes in together and the price jumps 20 30% overnight. And it happens yeah. every single time. So I'm, I'm going to go a bit off bit off topic and to cover one of the questions. So it, it, it is relevant. And, and somebody was asking, when 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 did you when when you, like when did you kind of when have you bought a lot of your you said you bought half during the GSC and sort of after what what have you sort of done since then like have you bought many properties since or have you sort of just put this put the queue in the rack and what what have you done over the last sort of five to six or seven years I suppose have you done much no no not at all and and that's part of the plan because mm -hmm. you can keep building your portfolio you can keep gearing up to eighty percent. But you're yep. getting higher and higher risk because it's harder and harder to refinance. Getting a million dollar loan is one thing. Getting ten million is a different gig, and yep. fifteen or twenty million is even even higher. So what I've learned from I've interviewed literally thousands of high income owners and wealthy people, and yep. what I've learned is once you get to a certain wealth, you don't live in better homes, you don't live in better cars, you don't do better holidays. You pretty much cap out. So for me. Unfortunately, tonight we can't see the view, but you guys saw it this morning. So we're in Darling Point, 360 degree views, whole floor apartment type thing. Um, so a $7 million property, which I rent. The next step is pretty much to move into a $50 million Point Piper house or something or $100 million. But the extra pain, the extra risk, the rest of it, for not a lot of extra pleasure, it's not worth the pain. So I'm yeah. rough, my, my rough numbers are 20 million a property, about 11 a debt, so I'm about 55% geared. But if I geared up to 80%, I could probably have 30 million in a property and 20 a debt. But I'm not going to do anything different. But the risk of that happening, and if interest rates go up or COVID happens or something like that, I could lose the lot. So I'd rather be 50% geared, nice and comfortable, got as much money as I need to do whatever I want, and not risk pretty much everything that I've built for the last 30 years. Yeah, so, so it's basically a greed thing. If you get too greedy, you potentially risk everything. How do you um? How do how do you stop? And, and then we'll we'll get we'll get more into the the, the, the nuts and bolts. But um, how do, how do how do you stop the, the greed? Like I don't know. I'm just interested. I'm I'm asking from a selfish perspective here because I I kind of I, I get excited myself when I see the I'm even doing projects here and there. You see you you make a game. And you're like, well, yeah. Next project I want to do is bigger and better. How do you how do you, how do you personally stop that yourself? 
So no one believes this, but I'm actually really lazy. So at school, I was, all my reports was lazy, but I did yep. the minimum amount of stuff to, to get by. So I still did um, effectively, I think I did 11 O-levels and three A-levels, but I got just passes like C's and, and, and stuff like that. So compete for the national average. Sorry? P's equal to degrees. Yeah. So compared to the national average, obviously I'm reasonably intelligent and stuff, but compared to the intelligence set, I'm actually pretty lazy and pretty stupid. So I actually do the minimum to get by. So in reality, what I did is I worked twice as hard in my 20s so that 30s and onwards I could take life easy. So I retired from full-time work at 31. And so I only get motivated if I'm feeling poor and if I'm about to lose everything. So <laughs> my motivation's been is I go and buy lots of property I overbuy, so I've got no money left. I then think I'm going to go poor and get bust. So then I start working to generate some money. I then generate some money, get comfortable, then go and buy more property and overspend again. And then I've got a hustle. So I've gone through this up and down over the last, say, or from, say, 20 to about 30, 35 or 40 even. Um, whereas now, because I'm comfortable, I don't really do anything. But in the credit crunch, our business revenue dropped 70% because no one could borrow it. So suddenly I'm getting on the phone, I'm calling people and I'm I'm being active again. So that's that's kind of my motivation. That's that's that's, that's, that's my life back from the millennium. I'm just gonna be lazy from now on. And um, so <laughs> when, 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 when I rock into work tomorrow, my boss says, Jeff, why don't you do any work? And I said, Well, a guy who's, who's earned a few dollars told me that it's it's he just focus on being lazy so like can you can you argue with him on that? Like I'll, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you his number and you have a chat with him. So the reality is, um, for, for most people, so most people's equivalent to this is if you go and get your first mortgage and you go and gear up a bit and you borrow a lot of money, you've got to pay your mortgage. Yeah. And employers love people having a mortgage because it, it means they've got to turn up to work because they're, they're motivated. And so yeah. buying a first time or buying an investment and getting a big mortgage is a great motivator because you're forced to, to pay that mortgage. Yeah, but actually, I that's rather than do it for a little bit, I did it massive amount. So in the, you just the light a, a fire under yourself and let yeah. yourself. <laughs> so in the UK, you could borrow three times your income. I borrowed seven times, so my mortgage was more than my wages before tax, let alone after tax. But because <laughs> I rented two rooms out, I could live for free. So yeah. it's all mentality. All of this stuff is it's not actually about property. It's just purely mentality. Yeah, that's actually. I'm, I've got a, a Facebook post that I'm doing about it's easier to make ten thousand dollars than it is to save ten thousand dollars, and it takes a little bit of time for people to get that. And then, as soon as you've lit that fire under yourself, ten thousand dollars. I need to find ten thousand dollars. Easy, you can do it. It's not that. It's not that challenging. But saving and scrimping, you do need to plug the holes in the bucket. But saving is not going to get you there. You need to make and provide value to the rest of the world. Um, to be able to, to to be able to get that stuff, but I love how you just set yourself on fire and force yourself into a position. Yeah. So again, a lot of people. So so my kids go to school, and the school says, "What do your parents do for a living?" And my kids that are eleven and thirteen, they reply, "Well, mummy goes out to work, daddy drinks beer and watches TV." And so <laughs> that's the, my, uh, and I'm very good at it. But my wife then says, 
I think you need to get a job because it's not good that we bring up our kids thinking that daddy's lazy and he doesn't do anything and, and mummy goes out to work. And I said, yeah, but surely there's a better way. Rather than me get a job for 20 years, surely there's a better way that we can actually teach our kids to do it so I don't need that job. But the reality is, is I carry around 10 or $11 million worth of debt on a $20 million portfolio, which is more than most. Yep. If the market grows 5 or 10%, I can make a million or two doing not a lot. But I've got that weight on my shoulders 24-7. So I might not go out to a 9-to-5 job. I might not have to work hard. I might not have to have a boss. But that weight of that debt on my shoulders for the whole of my life is more stress and more grief than most people could put up with. So I'm not putting in hours, but I'm putting in leveraged, I guess, men mental, uh, I guess, grief in a way or something like that. And so I'd rather carry that than do a 9-to-5. And how do you translate that to the kids? How do you get that across to the children? Well, that's what we're learning. <laughs> well, could, 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 you write, could you write a book about that, Chris? Because I, I think I think that's I probably could. That's what the world, the world wants. Leaving my son. So my, my son reads quite a bit, and he keeps saying I've run out of books. And I said, "I oh, look, why don't you read Daddy's book?" And he said, "No, it's boring." And I said, yeah, <laughs> "Do do you?" And he loves he loves IT and kind of screens like all the other kids and i said yeah but do you want to work for the rest of your life or do you want to be able to choose what you want to do and he says yeah i want to choose what i want to do but i don't want to read your book so i've got yeah. about five ten years to try and force it down his throat <laughs> you can just, I'll, I'll tell you what, maybe, maybe just pop it in the uh pop, pop, pop it in the uh pop it in the bathroom and like put it put it in places where eventually you'll be like well he'll, he won't have anything else i mean i suppose you could take his phone but anyway we won't go in there so i've got i've got a question that i wanted to ask chris so i was listening to a podcast that chris did probably a year ago and it was about taking a, a 1912 ford model t up to the Blue Mountains, and you were doing it the next weekend. And I was like, no, I want to hear the story after he took his Ford Model T. So for everyone that doesn't know, a Ford Model T has three pedals, and none of those pedals are an accelerator. Um, but how did that trip go, Chris? Tell us, give us the give us the insights. <laughs> well, it's funny, because I actually went to see the Model T, which lives down at the mechanics most of the time, but I actually crashed it on last week, I think last Wednesday. Oh, no. And um, yeah, it's. I've had three near-death experiences in it, and look, it's an amazing car. Everyone loves it. It looks like a half-million-dollar car, but in yeah. reality, you can pick them up for about twenty or thirty grand. Um, they're the biggest mass-produced car almost ever built. I think there's about fifteen million made. There's still about a million now. But yeah, the, the left pedal changes between high gear, neutral, and low gear depending on where the handbrake is. The middle, the middle pedal is reverse. The yeah. right pedal is brake. But what I learned this other day when I chose to crash into a lamppost versus rear end the car is the engine's got so much torque that if the engine's still running and you put the brake on, nothing happens and you still go flying ahead. You still go forward. The accelerator <laughs> is a left-hand lever like, like your indicator on the left-hand side of the steering wheel. Yep. On the right hand, you've got another lever that does the timing. There's another knob that changes the fuel mixture. And at the same time, you then got to do hand signals, left, right, and kind of stopping and stuff like that. And so it's, it's mad. So if you want to do wow. like an emergency stop, do you just drop the accelerator down, throw up that, throwing in the timing, hit the brake? 
Well, I had an emergency and basically the car was running it in, in high gear, but I couldn't get it in neutral and the brakes weren't working. And so what I should have done was pull the handbrake up and hit all three pedals at the same time. Uh, but which would then stall the car and then stop it apparently but because there wasn't a natural reaction i thought i'll steer around the other cars and try and avoid them and only had literally about two seconds and then i was this was in willamaloo i was about to rear end the car and i thought now i'll take the pavement and even though the curb was really big the tires are so big that it just mounts up over the the pavement so i probably looked like one of these terrorist drivers that was driving down the pavement but I couldn't get it between two poles, so I chose the lamppost. And, um, yeah, the car's a bit uh, a bit broken because I think the impact came through and has smashed. Like, I don't even know, some bit of the engine, but I don't really understand cars, so it's it's got a hole in it. Did the airbag go off? Yeah, this um, we don't have too many of those things. Like, um, yeah, it was the came in and everything. It's um, When you've got no seatbelt... It's a scary thing, even at 20 or 30 k's an hour, having a crash. Yeah, I have a, I have a 1978 XS650 motorcycle, and I thought that the brake, I had a similar, similar experience, but not into a lamppost, but into the back of a ute, thinking that the brakes are as good as everyday brakes, and they are definitely not. The yeah. old things do not stop as fast as new things. That is guaranteed. And that's the thing. So all my cars are old now. So I've got a 1912 Ford Model T, I've got a 1969 Ford Econoline, which is a bit like the 18 van or um, Scooby-Doo, and then an 85 stretch Cadillac, which is now my race car for racing through the Outback, which is the most practical thing. But, um, yeah, we get there sometimes. <laughs> I, I think we could just have a whole um, podcast or session on Joe and Chris talking talking cars and and I'd, I'd sort of, I'd want to be in, in, in my head, I'd be, I'd be thinking about, I mean, I, I love fast cars as well, don't get me wrong. But let's let's change gears, pun intended, um, and, and talk about, you. I think you alluded to your, your first uh, your first investment earlier on. But tell us about that first, was it, it was back in back in the home, back in the mother, on the mothership in the homeland, back in the UK. Tell us about that one and, and how it all went. Sure. So the long story short was basically, I came backpacking in Australia for about three months came back home, said to mum on a Saturday night, I'm off to the pub, and um, she said, I'll be back by midnight. And I said, mum, I'm an international traveller. I've travelled all around the world. I've come back from Australia. Surely I can get back from the local pub. And she said, no, it's my house, my rules, back by midnight. So stuff you, I'm going to move out. That, that was my catalyst, which at the time I hated them for, but in hindsight, best thing she ever did. Yeah. And... I knew nothing about property. There's no TV shows. There's no books, magazines. There wasn't even investment banks and stuff like that. But long story short, I basically, I could afford, I earned 10,000 pounds, three times my income, I could afford a really crappy one-bedroom unit. I fell in love with a three-bedroom bachelor pad right in the, the sexiest part of town around all the cool wine bars and stuff. And then that was my goal. How do I do it? And I basically worked the numbers out that as long as I could get the mortgage from the bank, if I could rent two rooms, I could live for free. And so I basically pitched my dad and said, look, I'm not after a handout. Um, I'm after like a parental guarantee, which is pretty commonplace these days. It wasn't in those days. And I said, can you guarantee the mortgage for the first few years in case something goes wrong? I can afford to pay the bills. And I basically ended up buying a 100 grand place for 80 grand. So I made two years salary overnight and wow. effectively live for free. 
And that's where I thought this is the magic. Going to work for two years or just buying a property and making two years overnight, that's that's where the money is. Wow. That's um I, I kinda want to just think about that for a minute or two because that, that's that's just amazing. Like how did how did you even like how did you have the mindset to be able to, to do that? Like what, what were you what were you doing? Were you an accountant at the time? Was that what you Yeah, so I was studying accounting. So I worked full time at Kodak. Um, then I drove up to central London every night, I think four nights a week and studied accounting, then came back, then had to study all weekends. So that was my working twice as hard in my twenties to then go and, uh, kind of take it easy in my thirties. But look, that's my mindset. So my skill set is not being, so I failed tax three times. So I'm not a great accountant, (laughs) but I just think in numbers. And so when I try and justify things, I can pretty much justify anything like with my friends and family and stuff. But that's yeah. my skill is no emotions, not caring how society did it or how anyone else did it. I converted all the words into numbers and I put it into an equation and a simple equation that that's what I then do. Wow. And and how did how did that property that you bought, um, was was that in London, uh, I imagine? Or yeah, around? So it's about 20 miles north of London, a place called uh, St Albans, yeah. St Albans, yeah, I heard of St Albans, yeah. That's, um, do you still hold that one or did you end up selling it off? No, so, so I did. I never sell anything. So uh, that's probably worth maybe six hundred thousand pounds. So it's gone from eighty to one sixty, one sixty to three twenty. So it's doubled, kind of three or four times or something like that. And then two years later, I did the same thing with another one. Again, bought it for eighty thousand, was worth a hundred thousand. Uh, bought it with my dad as a joint venture, the two of us. Yep. But that all came about because I became friendly with the agent that sold me the first one, and we used to go out drinking once a month. And she said. Mm-hmm. Uh, a developer's converted these flats. He thinks they're only worth 80000 We think they're worth a lot more. Do you want to come and see one? And I said, this is magic. I, I believe you as well. I think it's worth a lot more. I said, um, yeah, I'll take one, but you need to give me a few days. And then I pitched my dad again, and um, I said, look, Dad, you know, obviously I made this two-year salary overnight. Things have worked out with this property. Why don't we do something together? And I didn't know what a joint venture was. It was just like... Whatever money we put in, we get paid whatever the mortgage is. So whether we get money from ourselves or the bank, it doesn't matter. The rest we'll get from the bank. I'll do all the work. I'll find the property. I'll deal with the tenants and all the rest of it. And then we split the profits 50-50. And he said, sure, let's go off and do one. He, he didn't need the money. He's a doctor. But it's more doing something with the father and son. And I said, well, I've actually already got one. We need to sign for it kind of uh, straight away, really. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ask, ask, for, ask for forgiveness. Uh, yeah, ask for permission. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad and you just, sold them. I'll just let you know. I totally forgot. I've got one already. Oh, cool. Okay, well, and let's get so one up prepared earlier. Yeah. Just to put something out there. So the skeptics would say, oh, poor little rich kid, Chris, he's got all the handouts from his parents and that's how he's made all his money and the rest of it. And look. If that's what you want to believe, then that's all cool. Yeah, but also, I also think it's... There's a, there's another story. So actually, yeah. one of my... Yeah, another story is my first property was through a guarantor loan. But it's a hand up rather than a hand out if you're able to utilise it properly. So sorry, I cut you off there, Chris. But get, get, that's, that's right. cool. Look, the reality is, so we deal with a lot of wealthy people now, and a lot of parents come to me saying, I want to get my kids into property. How do you do it? And there's so many parents that, like yourself, will do parental guarantees. They want to help their kids, but they're not going to give a handout. So yeah. if someone's out there saying, oh, it's all right for you, my parents haven't got any money or they're divorced or whatever's happened, sure. But there's plenty of other people like Nathan Birch is one. I'm not sure if you've had him on. Um, 
But again, he was from Western Sydney, had no money, worked four or five jobs, did whatever it took to then get it over the line. And again, is people say, oh, you're lucky you're an accountant, Chris. Yeah, I was, I was really lucky when I was working a full-time job, driving up to central yeah. London four or five nights a week, studying at the weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm a lucky man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and I completely agree with your mindset there. It's it's not – and you work, you work super hard in your 20s. And, and I kind of – it's one of those cars. Do you happen to have a DeLorean by any chance? <laughs> uh, I, I probably need one, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. So, I, I, I kind of, uh, in, in my 20s, I sort of focused hard on the study part of it, not realising that studying will, will, will get, you into a, get you into a job and, and nothing wrong with having a job, but, but it kind of, it's, it's more, uh, it, it's until you start to sort of hear and listen to a lot of the property podcasts and I read, I, I read a blog called Mr Money Mustache when I was probably 20, what was 24, 25, and that sort of changed my mindset. I sort of started to realise, I started to have a conversation with a couple of workmates and sort of started to drink a bit of the Kool-Aid around financial freedom in financial independence retire early. Um, but you're right though, it's 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 how hard you want to work to, to get to where you want to, and if you don't want to work hard, that's okay, but the results you'll get are the work you put in. Um, and, and regardless mm. of how much effort or, or assistance you've had, you've still got to put the, the hard guards in, otherwise it's not going to happen for you magically. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing Nothing in his life is free. Um, so you've you've done incredibly well in in terms of in the grand scheme of things, property wise, uh, Chris. What are some of the skill sets that you require as an investor to make this happen for them? How do people make this happen for themselves? What kind of skill set do they actually need? Sure. So the best one is no emotion. So what I say is when I when I got married, I've I've had to try and learn emotion because apparently that's good in a relationship. <laughs> But for a, a property investment thing, it's best not to have any emotion whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but look, I know that's a joke, but that is the reality. Because yeah. if you listen to friends and family, the media, all those people, you never do anything because it's all scaremongering and all this kind of stuff. So concentrating on the numbers, even if you're not a numbers person, like the numbers I deal with aren't that complicated. And even no. if they offer you and you're not a numbers person, Get a bookkeeper or get a maid that can do basic Excel. You don't need to, to do really fancy, massive spreadsheets. The simpler, the better. And again, in my Empire book, which I know a lot of people have seen, the numbers are super simple. That Yeah, that's the one. I mean, again, if you open it, there's literally, so on some of those tables, there's only four or five um, lines of, of uh, things of like the capital value, the mortgage, the net amount the rent, the expenses, the net amount. That's all you need to know. It's not that complicated. Um, look, research is good, but again, my strategy has been the same for 30 years is I don't predict or hotspot the latest suburbs. So people say to me, where would you be buying now? The same place I was buying 30 years ago. And our simple strategy for capital growth is avoid the CBD because there's no limit of supply. You can keep building tall towers and the Aussies don't want to live in the city. So you go that five to 10 or 15 Ks from the city, three-story height limits, no more property, and there's lots of demand from young professionals with rich parents that have got cash. And the yeah. best thing I learned from Sky News from 10 years of interviews was um, the guy John Edwards from Residex, and he said yeah. that the economy's got a way of making property more expensive and us affording it, but the bottom line is supply and demand. If there's no more and rich people want it, price goes up. 
So yeah. part of it is is the non-motion, but the rest of it's blocking all the crap out. To be honest, cut the noise, yeah. cut, cut the crap, cut the things that that doesn't fit through the filter because there's and probably mates, the mates is a lot of it. If they're not positive people and they're not positive on property, just yeah. don't listen to them. The amount of people that gave, give me advice on property and what I should be doing is laughable. <laughs> um, one one of the things that I read in your book uh, that I really enjoyed was don't fear the gear. What does what does that mean? Um, this, this was some of my first um, clients. I got them, so I wrote the book and then I got them to go through it and they put in some of these things. It's, don't fear in the gear. You could read a lot of things into that uh, thing, but that's definitely kind of marketing chat. But, but that's the thing yeah. is, is don't fear debt is... Sure, if you go and take on a whole bunch of debt, especially non-deductible debt, and you're stupid, you're going to end up in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. It's like drinking alcohol. You do it moderately. You can even push the limits a bit, but still behave yourself, and it can be the best thing in the world that trying to get rich by paying cash isn't going to work. The only way is to borrow money. So when I bought that first property, I put £10,000 in. I borrowed 70000 £80,000 property, if it goes up 10%, it goes up eight grand. That pretty much doubles your money overnight. Yeah. 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 Um, so one of the things that you talk a lot about in your in your book, again, I keep saying this, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm, you talk a lot about, I'm fine with that. Yeah, exactly. It's called uh, it's called The Effortless Empire by Chris Gray. Um, we should definitely get him on. Don't uh, even <laughs> Joe, have you got a shrine, Joe? Show, show us your shrine, Joe. Where's your, where's your grave shrine? He just needs to pay us. We just, just somehow monetize this uh, this episode. Um, there's a link below, I'm sure, for Chris. Uh, no, what? Uh, where was I going with that? Um, well, I, well, one of the biggest takeaways from me was that um, you're using, you're getting a, a, an asset that is capital growth orientated. That's the main focus, and it's cash flow negative. And then everyone sees this cash flow negative as three, four, five, six, 10, 15, 20 grand negative out of their pocket. But you then grow the asset and then in, in you talk about pulling the equity out and having cash flow buffers set up based upon that equity. Can you talk to that a little bit more, um, a little bit more eloquently about what, what the heck that actually is and how that works? And so really it's, it's the four savings mentality in a way. So let's say you buy a million dollar property, you borrow 80%, depending on the interest rates, we say it costs you 10 or 20 grand a year. So we then say, well, the break even, so how much does the property have to rise by for you to profit? Well, if a million dollar property rises by 1%, it goes up 10 grand, which means you've made 10 grand, but you've lost 10 grand, so that's even. So as long as you think the property market's gonna grow by more than one or 2%, you're going to make money. Now, most people believe it's going to go at 7 or 10%. So if it goes up at 10%, it goes up 100 grand. That's almost enough money to cash flow for the next 10 years. So the way the cash buffer works is, say I buy that million-dollar property and it grows to, to go to 1.1 in a year or two. I go to the bank and I say, the property's gone up 100 grand. I want to borrow 80% of that. Now, in the good old days of Lodoc, you could just tick a box and say, I can afford it. Obviously, since the banking commission, you can't do that. So they're still going to check your wages and your affordability to make sure you can afford it. If you can't afford it, they're not going to lend you a cent. 
But if they if they do, they lend you 80 grand. And what you do is you take that 80 grand and either it's sitting in your redraw or in your offset account. And I almost say, say for simplicity, you keep it there. For the next eight years, you can afford to pay the 10 grand negative gearing from your property out of that 80 grand. So at the end of eight years, instead of your loan being 800, it's going to be 880. So you've increased your debt by 80 grand, which everyone sees as bad. But ideally, that million dollar property should be worth a million and a half, maybe 1.7 or $2 million. So you've increased your debt by 10 grand each year. But ideally, your equity or your, your net wealth has gone up by 50 or 100 grand. Yeah. So wow. again, in the book, we talk about your debt going up at that angle, but then your asset value going up by that at a much steeper curve. Yeah. And again, it's it's basic mathematics, and and the book will step step you through it step by step. And 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 of course, cap, capital growth is not not always going to be a, a linear linear line. Um, but at the same time, you sort of you see your 2013 Sydney property market, the 2016 Sydney property market. It it almost it cloaks the doubled if you bought. The inverted commas right asset. Well, actually, you know, a, a lot of Sydney did did sort of somewhere between sixty to one hundred percent, and maybe some some areas even one hundred and fifty, maybe not one hundred fifty percent. That's a bit, bit out of the, but uh, but then then it sort of was flat for a couple of years. So then you sort of you accelerated in that period, but then you just have to then you've got your cash in the bank, and 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 I suppose if it gets, I'm interested in your thoughts. If if the market starts to get a bit bubbly, um, and that's that's a technical term, bubbly. Or frothy, whatever. Yeah, if we want to have a beer, what what are you what are your thoughts on then sort of buying where where there's a lot of FOMO? Are, are you sort of anti that, or are you are you, do you ignore that? What are your thoughts on that? So so for the first bit, so say when you're a first home buyer, you're going to have no equity, no spare cash, and that's where the forced borrowings come or the forced savings come in. So you're losing ten grand a year. You need that from your wages. But that's a good motivator to get your ass out of bed to go to work or get a second or third job to pay for that 10 grand because you've got to do it. Then later on, once you've had a bit of growth in the market, you can pull the equity out. Now, in the good times, I might almost have no buffer because I'm putting all that extra equity into more deposits to buy more properties. But if I see that, that boom kind of peaking out or it's going to go flat for a few years, then I save more of that money so that if it does go flat for four years, I've got three or four years cash flow. But if not, I'm going to get a third, fourth, fifth job. So this is the forced saving pretty good. That's the thing that motivates me to go to work or not work. Where suddenly you get places that suddenly bottom out or suddenly go down the volatile part. So the volatile part for the last few years could be like um, off the plan, brand new apartments. Mm. They're up and down like a yo-yo. yo-yo. If you wanted to, to get a property 20 or 30% off, Go and buy a brand spanking new one. But the problem is, the reason it's 20 or 30% off is because there's a massive oversupply, there's no demand, and so the price has gone down. I don't want to buy those kind of properties because I know when the shit hits the fan again, my properties will be going down and the bank will be on the phone saying, hey, Chris, we want to revalue your properties. Yeah. Whereas my the Bondi's, the Tamaramas, the Marubras, the bank doesn't call because they know COVID, sure, it might have dropped 5 or 10% temporarily, but they know it's going to be back there. Bondi is the last on their list. It's not on their hotspot list. So yeah. that's why I don't go for the hotspotting type things. 
Yeah, that's um, and and that that for, we've done probably about twenty five or thirty of these now, and and I'm seeing a trend, a pattern, and it's just confirming exactly what you said. And and regardless of whether it's two or three million dollars, or whether it's even sort of on the lower end, about the seven seven hundred k to the one million. Um, Sam um, Joe sort of says buy buy close to a beach and buy where there buy where people want to live and buy sort of and buy where there's low where there's low uh, low supply and a lot of demand and and he's kind of bought in in a in a in a, in, in a sort of um, in a northern sort of part of Wollongong where there's you're 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 thrown by the escarpment you can't there's no land that's going to come on there and, and there's the the residents if you try if you tried to build a twenty a twenty story apartment block they would sort of they they lobby to the council and they'd say NIMBY, not in my backyard, right? So that sort of so you've got limited supply and 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 everybody wants to live there now. So you kind of I mean, supply and demand, simple. Um, Joe, <laughs> the other thing to add into that is uh, number of industries. So you want lots of industries in the area as well. Yep. So if you were, let's say, you're um, 25, you've got a 100k salary. Uh, that's your that's what well, let's say 80k 80k salary and you've got 60 grand of savings what would you do how would you build your empire again how would you get started and kickstart this bad boy again well we just about a year and a half ago i i get random calls from people just like after a bit of advice and, and look i pick up the phone and answer virtually everyone that calls me so this guy he was 20 years old he was at university worked part-time in a pub and he had 10 grand and he said, I'm saving for a deposit, but I'm thinking about doing this property course that costs five grand. What do you reckon I should do? And I said, this is going to be the opposite to what your parents kind of um, would suggest. And it's a bit out there. But I'm saying for 10 grand, it's going to take you forever to save a deposit. If you put five grand into this course, and it wasn't my course, it's someone else's course. I said, you've got a better chance of learning how to do something. It's a big punt but you can probably do it. Long story short, the guy ended up working for me a day of the week. It was like a property development thing. And so I get lots of people that want to kind of learn from me or, or follow me around, and there's never that opportunity, but there was this, just one opportunity now. Anyway, <laughs> six months later, he bought a 750 grand property in Four Clues uh, with his cousin, um, I think with maybe parental guarantees as well. And so they basically put 350 in each, like put borrowed money and stuff. Yep. He put it in the credit crunch, or in, uh, I think before even COVID, that property has probably made them 100, 150 grand already. And that's the thing. For a 21-year-old who works part-time in a pub, now he works for us like a couple of days a week because he's he's got the taste of it. Now he's trying to get pre-approved for his second one. Um, the Telegraph picked up the story. They saw it on my social media. So is is um, yeah. So he, his name's James Brown. If anyone wants to Google it, you can read the story. But he's a young twenty-one year old, part-time student, part-time in the pub, and he managed to get a property with his cousin uh, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. I hear he's a, I hear he's a good musician as well. Ah, oh, the uh, the good old one. This this one's a bit white, whiter than the other one. Yes. Uh, again, it, it shows you if there's a will, there's a way. And yeah. he he had the commitment and he punted five grand on the course and um, he, he learned some stuff. He met, got in with a good group, met some right people and he's going to be on a mission now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder why. That's, that's, a, that's the kind of thing that's, that's kind of sore. If I'm, if I'm 20 or 21 or 22 now, I, I, I'm looking back, having the DeLorean, that's a story I would want to hear for myself. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing that you don't, if, you're, if you've got neg- a negative peer group, or I won't even say negative, if you've got a peer group that doesn't invest in property, then, then they're, they're going to say, well, no, you shouldn't do that because you're going you're gonna to get taken for a ride. Um, you're going to lose that 5K and then you're only going to have 5K and you can't buy a property, right? There's all the naysayers that say, yes, you can't do it. it I, I sort of say, rather than saying make, make a door, um, bloody don't worry about the door, just just bloody run around the door and, and walk into the party. Don't worry about the door. Don't worry about trying to figure out how to get through the door. Just just walk around the damn thing or climb over the door, whatever. So, so I've never met this guy, James, and I said, look, if you go and do this course... And if you get on well and the, the guy thinks you're good, then you can work for me for a day a week if you want and I'll you can do a lot of the legwork for, for me doing the feasibilities. And if yeah. we do a deal, I'll cut you in on some of the deal profits, but the chances are it might be two, three, four years away. So he started working a day a week, being paid nothing. But yeah. the funny thing was we needed, for the lawyers, I, I needed to have an employment contract just so that for confidentiality and stuff like that. And I'm saying... To the lawyers, I want an employment contract, but I'm not paying him. They said, Chris, you're not allowed to do that these days. I said, why not? And he said, you're not allowed. It's like fair workers or whatever. <laughs> and I said, well, what, what if he pays me? And it went on. He said, what do you mean pays you? Well, I said, people would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we're learning from other developers, he'd pay, pay me. He said, Chris, you can't employ someone for them to pay you. <laughs> and so... We're paying the minimum wage. Not that he, he doesn't even want the money because the big money is in doing dip bigger deals. Exactly. But yeah, we're paying 20 or 30 bucks an hour, whatever minimum wage is, just because the lawyer's told us. So he can't pay you? That's that's against the rules? Yeah. But isn't, isn't that just a mentor relate? I mean, I don't know. Like, why can't you just, yeah, I don't know, just say that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very the integrity in doing what you've done there rather than, you know, and, 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 and it's a grand a month or something. It's He didn't really care. I didn't really care. So it's like, Go with, go with the path of least resistance. Yeah, just, so that's, uh, just that's, that's, where you, that's where you get started. You, you take him down the James Brown path. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what James was willing to do, he was willing to put half his savings down. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors, so we can all become better property investors together.